Robert, appreciate that. I hope that spoke to your heart the way it did to mine. Take your Bibles tonight, if you would, and we'll go to Romans chapter number 15 this evening. Romans chapter number 15. And I've been loving our study on practical Christianity. I'm a very practical kind of person. And I, 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 of course, hold dear the doctrines of the Word of God. And I live by those because that, is, that of course, is everything that, that really kind of steers me. It's the glue that, that keeps us together as a child of God. But this evening, as we continue, and we're in these last two chapters of the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 15, and I hope that you received your outline as it was emailed to you, and you can follow along there tonight, have your Bible in your hand or in your lap, and, uh, and then take some notes as the Lord would lead you. But I want to speak to you about the abundant Christian life, the abundant Christian life. And let's begin reading where we left off last Sunday evening, chapter 15, beginning in verse number eight. The Bible says, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, for this cause, I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again, he saith, rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse. And he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And as we look at this passage tonight, I was thinking about this matter of the abundant Christian life. And it, it reminded me of a story that I once read of, of these two mountain villages way up in the remote parts of the mountains where they lived. And one of these villages was a, a village that actually got water from a mountain spring. During the summer months when the weather was dry, that spring, as you can see here on the picture, would kind of dwindle down until there was really barely a, a trickle of water coming into that little bitty village. And of course, we know water is a source of life. And there was just barely enough water to keep the village alive. And even, you know, when the wet weather would come, certainly things would change, but they struggled for many, many months. But the other village, unlike this particular one, in the center of that village, there was a fountain that was always flowing with an endless supply of life-sustaining water. And you can see there what water means to, to people that, that need it so desperately. It, this was more or less an artesian well that, that continued to flow in this village regardless of how dry the summer months may become. This particular village, unlike the other one, always had an abundance of water for their own needs and for the needs of others. And I think of these two towns and these two pictures that we see, one dry and one coarse, a lot of water. And I think that it's a great picture of the two kinds of the Christian life that are available to us. Look, our, our Christian life can be one that is just dwindling and 
trickling down and almost drying up, or it could be one where there is, uh, there is uh, an abundance and overflowing in our lives, just like that village that had that well in the center of it. And when I think of this, I think of how some believers that I've met over the years, they live their life like a, a dwindling, trick, a trickling little stream that barely in their lives, it, you wouldn't even know they're a Christian had they not told you that they were a child of God. But others, I find, are living a life that is, that is overflowing with spiritual blessings, and you just see how abundantly God is blessing them. Jesus said while he was on this earth in John 10, 10, he said, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. But he says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's like these two wells and how Jesus said, look, your life was not intended to be something that is drying up. Your life is intended to be one that there is a continual flow in your life, one that is not only flowing, but overflowing. And I find that as we think about this matter of our lives overflowing, what are they overflowing with? All the blessings of God. You see, as I study, uh, even thinking about life itself, when we trust God, our lives will not be like that dwindling little trickling stream. Our lives will be like that overflowing artesian well. Our life will literally be gushing uh, with the overflow of God's working within our lives. The conversation in John chapter 4, look at verse 14, where Jesus said, Whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You know, I think about these two scenes, and, and, and maybe you can look at that picture tonight and think the same thought. Which one of these scenes accurately pictures the kind of life that you're living right now? Is your life one where it just seems like there's very little evidence that you are a child of God? Or is your life overflowing with the, the abundant blessings of God in your life? Because truly, many people live one way or the other. Jesus did not save us and leave us here so that we could lead a, a dry and barely clinging to, to spiritual life kind of a life. He saved us that we might overflow with a spiritual bounty. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 3 the Bible says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, listen, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. When I look at that verse, I thought, you know, God has already given us, he's already given me all that I need to enjoy the abundant Christian life. There's nothing more that we need. We just need to learn what the relevance is of that which God has given to us. In other words, to understand the abundant Christian life, what it is that God has given to us. And I see people in the Bible, like for instance, do you remember in the book of Acts when, when uh, of course, the Lord had been crucified and everyone that had spent time with Jesus, all of his apostles, that they all pretty much had a target on their back and, and Herod had rose up and and he was in power at that time. And the Bible mentions in, in chapter number 12 how, 
how that, that uh, uh, Herod already had killed James and then he had, he had arrested Peter and he had put Peter in prison. And the Bible tells us that while Peter was in prison, that it says this, that Peter was asleep. Uh, he was sleeping between two soldiers as he was bound with chains. Now think about that. Here he was, Herod had already killed James, one of them, and Peter could have been the next one, and they were holding him because of the feast day. But Peter, instead of wringing his hands, instead of worrying, and instead of having uh, no, no uh, evidence that he's a child of God, Peter is fast asleep. I think, I think of myself, that's probably what I would have been too, doing too. I would have just been passed out like Peter. And, and I love that because it reminds me not only Peter, but others in the Bible. Why was Peter able to fall asleep while he was in prison, possibly waiting for his life to be taken? Well, Peter and others, they lived lives of overflowing spiritual blessings. They were living the abundant Christian life that we're looking at here in Romans chapter number 15 tonight. And this, this life that I'm talking about, it's not just one that Peter had, maybe a few others in the, in the Bible had. This kind of life is available to every single one of God's children. If you're, a, if you're saved tonight, you're a child of God, this abundant Christian life is available to you. Our text tonight, it tells us about how we as God's children might receive the blessings of God. Look, I, I talk to a lot of people. I guarantee you, just about every person I ask, if I ask this question, do you like to be blessed? The answer almost always would be yes. We all love to be blessed of God. We all love and enjoy blessings in life. And when I think about this passage here, God in his word tells us how we can receive God's blessings. And he uses in these verses we're going to look at tonight for our text, two ministries that are performed on our behalf. Now think about that. God is doing something on our behalf to make this abundant life possible for us. So let's look at these two ministries performed on our behalf. Notice, first of all, the glory of the Savior's ministry for us. Now look at verse number eight again. The Bible says, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister. Now the word there, minister, means that Jesus has had a work, and that work that he was doing was not, he of course was doing the work of his father, but that work was on behalf of us. Jesus came so that we might have eternal life. Uh, the Bible says in Matthew 20, verse 28, look at it there in your outline, even as the Son of Man came, not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus did not come for himself, he came for us. I've always thought to myself, and I still hold this thought in my heart, is if I would have been the only one, I really believe that Jesus still would have left heaven and came to this earth and given his life, because that's what I find in the scriptures. So when I think of the Savior's ministry, this is something that God was doing for us. It's something that, that, that is making the abundant life possible for us. Well, notice when I think of the Savior's ministry for us, I find it in God's promises to the Jewish people. Now go back to verse number eight. The Bible says, I say that 
Jesus Christ was a minister, notice this word, of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the Father. So there are really two words there. The first one is circumcision, which is a word many times, especially in the New Testament, that is synonymous with the Jewish people. And then notice the reference there at the end of verse number eight, to the fathers. Again, talking about those patriarchs of the, the Jewish people. So we see here that God certainly through, throughout most of the Old Testament made many promises to the Jewish people. And one of those promises was that Jesus Christ came to this world to be the Savior of the Jews. Now stay with me because look what it says in Romans 1.16. Paul writes there, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So notice, I'm glad that comma, we'll talk about that in just a minute, but the Bible does say he came to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. See, a primary goal of his coming was to be the Jewish Messiah. Uh, this is why he came, was to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Remember, there was a time in, in uh, Matthew chapter number 15 where Jesus was spending time and this, this Canaanitish woman had come, and the Bible records that her daughter was, was grievously vexed with the devil. And she came pleading with Jesus, and Jesus, and again, if you don't look at the whole passage there, you miss it. You've got to look at the whole context. But in Matthew 15 and verse 24, notice what he answered and said unto her. He says, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So notice at this particular time in the Bible, in his ministry, in the plan of God, was that it was still, the focus was still on the Jewish people. Even though we're in the gospel records in our Bibles, because you'll see that, that the gospel actually swings wide open, uh, not too far from this particular passage. But Jesus came to fulfill the promises and the prophecies that God had made to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, down through the years. And I love it when you study his life, because as Jesus did come, in every area of his life and in everything Jesus did, he perfectly fulfilled every aspect of the Jewish law and the prophets that had foretold many things about him before he came. Listen to what he said on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He says, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. Now, the reference there, the law or the prophets, is really a reference to the entire Bible at that time, the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. Jesus said, listen, I did not come to tear up, to root up everything that, that, that God has given to you in his word in the Old Testament. He said, I did not come to destroy that. He says, I came but to fulfill that. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies and all the promises that God made to the Jewish people. He proved in every detail of his life that he was the Messiah. Remember what the woman at the well said, come see a man 
that told me all things that ever I did. Jesus is the Messiah. He came, but even though he came for the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, it's amazing how the Jews, even though he came for them, they stumbled over the fact that Jesus came to suffer. They just could not understand that if he was who he said he was, if he came to deliver them, then why did he have to suffer? See, they could not understand that Jesus' ministry, when you look at all of it, his ministry was really carried out in two parts. Now notice the first part was at his first coming. We oftentimes, that is referencing back to what we call Christmas. It was his birth when he came into this world. Uh, he took upon himself the form of a servant. Jesus was born of a virgin. That was his first coming. And when Jesus came, the purpose of his coming, his first coming, was to die for the sins of all people. Now, especially in this particular passage right here, it's dealing primarily with the Jews at this time, his ministry for them. But notice, as, as Jesus, his second part of his ministry, which is yet to happen, would be in his second coming. And, of course, that is still to us today, yet future. But when Jesus comes back at his second coming, why is he coming? What's the purpose of that coming? It is to restore his kingdom. Now, that is what many people wanted Jesus to do at that time. They were tired of Roman rule. They were tired of the oppression. And they wanted to be delivered at that particular time. But that was not the plan of God. The Bible says that as Jesus did come, that they did not understand why he had to suffer. And the Bible says in John 1.11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Remember a minute ago I said how that even though he came, that they could not understand. Listen to what Paul writes to those in Corinth, chapter 1, verse 23. We preach Christ crucified, notice this, unto the Jews a stumbling block. And unto the Greeks, foolishness. See, the nation of Israel as a whole, they rejected him. They still did not, to this day, they do not believe that the Messiah has come. They're still waiting on the Messiah. They missed it. The nation as a whole rejected him. But there were, at this particular time, individuals that did receive him. Much like today, when we go out and we talk to people about the Lord. Some people will accept Christ. Other people will reject him. You see, even in Jesus' day, he was standing there in front of them and they would not accept him for who he was. So when I look at this ministry that the Savior has, listen, for us, the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus is the minister to every Jew who would receive him as their Lord and Savior today. If there is someone listening to this message tonight, can I tell you that even if you are by birth a Jew, that if you open up your heart and ask Jesus to come in, that if you receive Christ as your Savior, that the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, the Savior's ministry, it was something that, he was doing on our behalf that we might have the abundant life. And that means that he was coming 
to fulfill those promises that God made to the Jewish people. But notice, then we also see not only God's promises to the Jewish people, but God's prophecies to the Gentile people. Now, the Bible does say to the Jew first, but then it says, and also to the Greek. Look what the Bible says. Let's read it here in verse number nine. The Bible says, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again, he saith, rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now, clearly, we're, we're talking here about the many prophecies that God gave about the Gentile people. In these verses that we just read, the Apostle Paul writing here, he gives four quotes in these verses uh, 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 from the Old Testament. As I looked at this, there was one verse, one quote from the Pentateuch. In other words, the law is oftentimes it's referred to, the first five books of the Bible. There was two references from the book of Psalms, and then there is one reference from the prophets of the Old Testament. Now, what was Paul doing? Well, again, as God was guiding Paul, the Holy Spirit of God was leading him what to write here, what Paul recorded was that he was teaching from the Jewish scriptures. He was showing the Jews from their, their Bible, because many of them still do not look to the New Testament. They still look to the Old Testament. But from the Jewish scriptures, he shows that the, the Jews, that God has opened the door of salvation. He swung it open wide to the Gentiles. Now, clearly, we can find in the Word of God, it does tell us that because of the unbelief of the Jews, that the gospel, the good news, went forth to the Gentile nations. I don't know about you tonight, but aren't you thankful that salvation is not just for the nation of Israel? Aren't you glad that if that's all it was? Listen, if it was just for the nation of Israel, you and I would be left out. But because it was for all people, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says. See, any lost person in the world who trusts Christ, according to the Bible, can be saved. Mark 16, 15, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. See, God wants all to be saved. He, he doesn't want anyone to perish. And when you look at the Apostle Paul's life, of course, we all know what his life was before Christ. And we, we study the Bible, we, we find that he was Saul of Tarsus. But after Paul got saved, the Bible shows us that Paul was given by God a commission that he was to take the gospel, the good news that saved him, that changed his life to these Gentile nations, to the people of the world. The Bible records in Acts 9, 15, the Lord said unto him, go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Romans eleven thirteen. and I speak to you Gentiles, Paul writes, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify 
my office. See, Paul knew that God was the one that had given him that grave responsibility to take the good news, the saving grace of God to people that had never had the opportunity to hear it before. Hey, listen, I'm, I am thankful, even here in 2020, that wherever sinners are found, regardless of what their nationality and regardless of the color of their skin, their background, that they can be saved by grace and they can be brought into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at a great passage with me tonight in Ephesians chapter number two. I love this entire passage and sometime maybe read the rest of it down to verse 22, but beginning in verse number 11, the Bible says, wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, boy, you ought to underline or highlight those two words because everything changes in this verse. Notice, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes, sometimes were far off, are now made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who hath made both, watch this, the circumcision and uncircumcision, the Jew and the Gentile. God has made both one, and Jesus hath broken down the middle wall, a partition between us, that wall that separated the holy of holies from the outer court and the inner court, how that they did not have access because they were Jews, they were not the high priest. The Bible says that Jesus in his own flesh, that he has broken down that middle wall of partition. He has given us access. Look at this. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandment contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man. So making peace and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Hey, what a wonderful passage, how we look at this, dealing with the prophecies that God has given to the Gentiles, how, listen, they were excluded, that they were called dogs, that they were the uncircumcised, as we read many times in the Bible, how that because of what Jesus did, this ministry that he has for us, that, that he is making a way through these prophecies. Jesus came as the minister of salvation for all that will receive him by faith, whether it would be Jew or whether it would be Gentile, that he has made both one in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful ministry that Jesus has for us. But notice also, secondly tonight, the glory of the Spirit's ministry for us. Remember I told you, that there are two ministries that are at work here, and these ministries are working for us so that we might experience all the spiritual blessings and have an abundant life. So not only is the Savior working for us, but watch this, the Spirit has a ministry for us also. Look at verse number 13 as we look at this verse here. Now the God of hope, 
fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that she may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> now, like, that verse there, uh, there's a couple words as I sat there and studied that out. The word fill and the word abound. Now, when you look at these two words, fill, of course, means not just to fill, but it means to fill to the top. And the word abound means to overflow. So in other words, if I was holding a glass here and I began to pour some type of water or liquid into it, and if I filled it, when it got to the rim, I'd stop, it would be full. But the Bible says here, it says the God of hope fill you with all uh, with, with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound, that you may overflow. That's talking about the abundant life, the overflowing life that God wants for each one of us. See, the Lord wants us to know, as his children, that not only has he redeemed us, and how wonderful that is, but he has given us a relationship with himself, and that is truly miraculous, but also and yes, it gets better, that he has made it so that life for us as Christians, as his children, do not need to be dull and boring. Hey, listen, I love the Christian life. I can't think of a better life to live. If I'd have known it was this good, I'd have got saved before I got saved. But the truth is, I'm glad that God saved me when he did. And listen, God wants us to know that we can live overflowing lives every day. I hope that's what you want. Uh, listen, I don't want my glass just to be full. I want it to overflow. I don't want my life just to be full. I want it to overflow. And as we look at this tonight, look at, as you think about the Spirit's ministry for us, notice first of all the author of the abundant life. Because as we think about the abundant life, we need to understand, as the Bible clearly teaches, that God is the giver of life. He is the author of life, the giver of life. Jesus saved us, and he has left us a life that should be filled with his presence and his power and his glory. God can still work in wonderful ways, supernatural ways in our lives, but the secret actually comes in two ways. One is, of course, first of all, is that we are saved. And the second way is that you and I, after we get saved, and here's the key, is we live lives close to the Father. Get to know God the Father. Listen, children oftentimes, you, you know why most children struggle in life? is because they did not get close to their dad. Uh, for many years when I was younger, I, I remember how my dad and I, we, we spent a lot of time together. My dad worked a, a lot of hours when I was a little kid growing up and providing for the family, and there were some lean years and the economy back then and so on. But I remember as tired as my dad was and as much as my dad worked, the one thing that my dad knew that I enjoyed was sports. And, of course, I, our family, we weren't a Christian. It wasn't a Christian home, but I'll tell you this, that, that it, it, it spoke volumes to me, especially as I got older, to think about how my dad would work all day, come home, barely get anything to eat, and then go out for about two hours and not only be at my practices, but he, he ended up coaching many of the sports I played. And as I think about that, I, as I got older, 
it seemed like there was a time where I kind of drifted apart from my dad. Oh, I was still there, and he was still in my life, but I wasn't as close to him as I was when I was a kid. And I remember that as I got older, that God gave me an opportunity to work together with my dad for about 10 years. Those are some of the greatest years that I still remember because I got close to my father again. You see, it's a wonderful thing to be saved, to understand that God has given you eternal life. But you have to understand that God wants us to be close to him. The secret is that we have to stay in communion with him. Well, how do we do that? Through prayer, through reading your Bible, through attending, and I realize we can't gather together as we want to, forsaking not the assembly, but we can, we're doing it live stream. We're doing it in your home, and we're coming right in by live stream into your home. Hey, listen, all these things, we need to avoid things that would hinder God's blessing and God's working in our lives. If you get close to him, can I tell you this, that your Christian life will be anything but boring if you're close to the Father. Hey, listen, when you get close to the Father, you know everything about him. You know what he likes and what he dislikes. And I'll tell you, it's an exciting life to realize that we can get to know the author of the abundant life. But notice also the Bible gives us here in verse 13 the attributes of the abundant life because Paul uses three words here to describe the characteristics of the abundant life. And if most people were honest, they would, they, they would tell you that they, they have spent or will spend most of their days, most of their life, wanting these three things that we're about to look at. A lot of people have exhausted their, their fortunes, and they, they have spent countless years seeking after these three things. And what many of them found is, is that you, none of these things that we're about to look at that Paul gives us can be bought with money. You can't buy these. They can only be found in Jesus because he is the source of all three of these characteristics of the abundant life. And these things are really, as I stopped and looked at them, as I spent some time preparing for the message this evening, I thought to myself, well, really, when I think of somebody that has the abundant Christian life, they are already a possessor of these things. Notice the first one that he mentions is joy. Now, many times we think of joy as being happy. Can I tell you, it's more than being happy. When you look in the Bible and you see the word joy, Biblical joy is choosing to respond to external circumstances, but you, you respond to those external circumstances with contentment and satisfaction. Why? Because in your heart, as a child of God, you know that God will use whatever experiences it is, those external things in our lives, He's going to use those things in our lives to accomplish His work. He will do it in our lives, and he will do it through our lives. And as I look at this, I think to myself, see, real joy that many times we read about in the Bible, it's something that can't be shaken. It's something uh, like 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it endures all things. It's something that, that is, is going, cannot be rattled, cannot be shaken in our lives. Paul writes to those in Philippi chapter 4, verse 4, listen, rejoice in the Lord the Bible says always, and again I say rejoice. So the Bible tells us here that we should rejoice in the Lord always, that there should never be, look, that joy that we receive from the Lord, it should always be in our lives. 
It should always be in our hearts. It comes from a real and a vibrant relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Those circumstances in our lives, look, those circumstances may change, but the Lord does not change. Nehemiah chapter 8, I love the end of this verse, verse 10. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Are you joyful this evening? Do you have joy in your heart this evening? Because if you don't, the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. So one of the attributes or characteristics of the abundant life is that, listen, as the Spirit is working in our lives, that we have the joy of the Lord. But then notice the second characteristic is the word peace, this concept here. I love the word because it means to join together. Think about that, to join together. When you think about the world we live in, this word peace is the exact opposite of the word worry. The word worry means to pull apart. The word peace is to join together. See, this world and the things of this world are pulling us apart. The devil would love to sow discord among the brethren, to separate us. But what is God trying to do? He's giving us his peace to join us together. Where does that peace come from? From Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit ministers to our hearts. It is is a life resting in the promises and the power of God. It is is, you and I, this peace, it knows that whatever comes in our lives, and listen, no one knows what is going to happen in our lives tomorrow. We don't know, but we know who holds tomorrow, and it is all in the hand of God. And listen, it is up to God to either allow something into our lives or to stop it. You think about the life of Job and how God allowed certain things, but he withheld certain things from Satan as Satan was trying to do things to Job. Listen, in our lives, God will not tempt you for evil. God will allow things. But think about this, is that God, as he allows those things, he gives us his peace. Remember the disciples? They were, all, they were Jesus put them in the boat, sent them out in the middle of the sea. And as they went out there, the storm came up suddenly. The winds were howling. The waves were crashing. Water coming into the boat. Jesus comes to them. And what does he say? Peace, be still. When I think about a characteristic of the abundant life, you know that somebody is enjoying the abundant Christian life when they have joy in in their hearts and when they have peace that only comes from God. Jesus said in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. See, Jesus gave peace to us. He gave us peace with God when he died for our sins. Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified by faith, we're saved. He says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I remember in my life the the turmoil that was going on 35 years ago and how how it just seemed like I had all this storm in my life and, and I did not understand what was going on or how to fix it. And I just remember that when God finally showed me that my need of of, of a Savior, that, that I need to put my faith in Him and Him alone. I remember when I prayed and trusted Christ as my Savior, I remember the peace that came over me. The Bible says that when we're justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But it also tells us in the Bible there's a daily peace. Every day. See, look, storms are going to come, storms are going to go. I mean, it's the coronavirus today. What will it be tomorrow? We have no idea. But there is a daily peace that we can experience in every situation of life. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, look at these words, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you see the daily peace there? It's not a peace that you're going to have today and not have it tomorrow. When you're living the abundant life, you've got a heart full of joy. You've got peace of mind and, and you're, you're, you're content. Listen, let me ask you tonight, do you have peace this evening? Do you have peace in your life? He says, look, the abundant life, it is evident as the Spirit is working that there's joy, that there's peace. But look at this. He also says in verse 13 that there will be hope. Now, the word hope here is not wishful thinking. That's what many people think it is. Hope is a deep, settled conviction, now watch this, that is based on a clear word from God. All of us that are saved, the Bible refers to us as the redeemed. You know what we have? You know where our hope comes from? From the promises that God gives us to rest upon. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Listen, all these promises that God has given to us, we need to rest in those promises. That's where hope comes from. Those promises give us hope. And if you are, if you are lost tonight, can I tell you, if, you don't, if you're without Christ, as the Bible mentions there in Ephesians chapter number 2, the Bible says you are without hope. But if you are saved tonight, and according to the Word of God, no matter what happens in your life, you have hope. You serve a God that's in control of a situation. Philippians 4.19, you know the verse, but my God shall supply, here it is, all your need, all your need, everything that you have according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So we see here that as we study the word of God that that we clearly see the, the, the ministry of the Spirit of God, and we see that God is the author of the abundant life, and we see the attributes of the abundant life are joy and peace and hope. But notice the appropriation of the abundant life. How do we get this kind of life? You say, boy, Pastor, that sounds really good. Sign me up. Where can I get that? The truth is, anybody would want this kind of life. And here's the answer. Let's go back to verse number 13. Look at it. Two words that I want you to see. Now, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Here it is. In believing. Those two words are the key. In believing. The abundant Christian life, it's appropriated by faith. There are people today that when you talk to them, they will say something like this to you when you're talking to them about the Lord and about spiritual matters, they'll say, well, listen, I don't have any faith. You know, let me give you something that, not necessarily to use against people, but it's, it's helped me in the past when people talk to me like that and say they have no faith. Look what the Bible says in Romans 12, 3, and I want you to remember this verse. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. In other words, 
Just because we're saved doesn't make us special. The only difference is we're saved by the grace of God. Now watch this. He says, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Did you see that? God says, look, I've given everyone, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, a measure of faith. When I look at that, I realize, and I, I, in my life a long time ago, I came to understand that faith is essential to our very existence. You think about how many things in life that we put our faith into, earthly matters. We put our faith in, in, in our jobs. We put our faith in our bank account. We put our faith in, in some policy. We put our faith in, in, in people. In other words, those are all earthly things. And if we, put our, if we can exercise faith in those earthly matters, then surely as, as God's children, we can learn to transfer that faith that we have into the Lord. And look at the Bible, it says here, 1 John chapter 5, verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, earthly things, watch this, the witness of God is greater. I mean, if we can trust in the things of this world, then even greater than that is to trust in the things of God. For this is the witness of God, which he testified of his son. When God saved us, according to the Bible, he placed his spirit within us. The spirit of God now dwells in us. And the spirit of God is the one that it is his ministry that helps us to be able to have the abundant life. The Holy Spirit of God gives us the power. To, he fills our life, giving us that abundant life. So the question tonight is this, as you think about the abundant Christian life, would you describe your life as abundant? Would you describe your life as overflowing? When you think maybe in your heart tonight, just between you and God, think about the life that you're living right now, the way you're living, not just today, but every day of your life. And I want to ask you this, is your life like that that struggling little stream that really is on the verge of drying up? Or is your life like that artesian well that flows up from a, an abundant supply in the heart? Is there something in your life this evening that's lacking? I have found that if there is anything lacking in our lives, that the help that we need, it's found in Jesus. Remember what he said when he came? He says, I came that I might give us life and that he would give us life more abundantly. You see, that's the kind of life that I desire for myself. And honestly, as your pastor, I desire that for you, is that we would all enjoy the abundant Christian life, one that is overflowing with God's spiritual blessings for our lives. Would you bow your heads with me tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? As we think about this message tonight, I want you to think about how good God has been to you. How God has given us, of course, His Word. And that helps us to know what we ought to believe. But we see the practical side of that tonight. Think about this message. Two ministries that God is doing on our behalf the Savior's ministry for us, and the Spirit's ministry for us. We have a wonderful God, do we not? 
who desires for us to have an abundant life, a blessed life. Why live it as a dull, dried out little stream when every day God by his spirit wants to supply us with life-sustaining, overflowing things in our lives, love, joy, and hope. May this message tonight strike a chord in your heart. That's the kind of life that I want to have. That's the kind of life that I want to live. Lord, I pray that you'd bless this evening. Thank you so much for what you have given us in your word. And as we have just a moment of invitation as the piano begins to play, Lord, I ask God that you would just continue to deal with those about this matter of having an abundant Christian life. We have an opportunity to be blessed by you. And so for these few moments, Lord, I pray that you would again help us to make some decisions going into this new week. And we ask this in Jesus' name. As a piano